three people around you and say, come on, it's your time. It's your time. (coughs) It's your time. Last week we began the series that we're going to be taking into this new year, Encounter God. Say with me, Encounter God. And I want to jump straight into it today. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 21 and verse 15. This is one of the times that Jesus appears to his disciples after he had been crucified, after he had been put in a borrowed tomb. After the tomb was empty, there was no body. There was a resurrection that took place. And Jesus appeared to his disciples a number of times. And here is one of those times. And they're discouraged. They're downcast. They're feeling low at this time because they think Jesus has left them. Have you ever been in that place? And they're feeling cheated. What happened? I thought you were the one. And they go back to what they know to do. They're fishing again. They're feeling sorry for themselves. And and it doesn't get any better because they're not catching any fish. But Jesus shows up in the scene and a miracle takes place. As he says, cast your net on the other side. And miracles happen. The net's bursting with fish. They come to the shore. They suddenly realize it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And Jesus has a conversation with Peter at that time. And it goes something like this, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Jesus doesn't just ask him once, twice, but he asked him three times. Look what it says in verse 17. And a third time he said to Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, what? Feed my sheep. Why would Jesus say that? Because true love is followed with action. When you love, you do. Reading on, it says this in verse 18. Most assuredly, Jesus says, I say to you, when when you were younger, you girt yourself and you walked wherever you wished. But now you are old. You will stretch out your hands. And another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This Jesus spoke, signifying the death that he would glorify God. Peter would be crucified like Christ. But actually, Peter would be crucified different to Christ because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Christ. And they literally crucified Peter upside down upon a cross. Jesus predicting his death. And he says, when he had spoken this, He said to Peter, follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. Do you love me? Follow me. What does it mean to follow someone? It means to be close. It means not to be distant any longer because I can't follow someone if I can't see them. I have to be close to them. He's saying, I want an intimate relationship with you. I don't want you to be distant. I, I know what you're feeling and what you've been feeling and you feel betrayed. But Peter, I'm here. I'm giving you another opportunity. Can you see the love that I have for you? Do you love me in the same way? Peter, follow me. Let's have relationship together. You see, Jesus wanted more than just a word relationship. So a lot of us give God a lip service. Oh, yeah, I love God. But then we live like hell. (coughs) Expecting the rewards of heaven. Come on now. And it's not going to happen like that. And it's amazing that Jesus tells Peter, if you love me, you're going to go through some stuff, but just keep following me. 
It's amazing in our life we're going to go through some things. We're going to face some struggles through following Christ. And in Peter's case, it literally cost him his life. As I said, he was crucified. But still he chose to follow. That's what I want for my life for 2018. I I want to be with God. I want to be so with God that I'm prepared to follow him no matter what tomorrow may bring. No matter what may be in my future, no matter what it may hold in store for me, I'm going to follow God. Why? Because I love you, God. And I trust you with my life and with my future. Here's something you've got to understand, and that is this. God loves us just the way that we are. But God loves us too much to leave us that way. I love that. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And that's why today I want to talk about religion versus relationship. I want to talk about that religious spirit that is on the church today. In fact, yesterday in prayer, I was praying against the spirit of religion in the house. Why? I'm not a religious person. Come on, I'm a Christian. And you can say, well, what's the difference? We're going to discover what's the difference. Why? Because many of us have a difference of knowing of God instead of God knowing us. You see, religion is knowing of a God, but relationship is God knowing you. And maybe even today, you may be in a religious relationship because what I've discovered is this. Most of the church today are in a religious relationship with God. They're having a religious moment with God. Chris Hodges writes these words that I read this week. He said, every time I went to church, I either heard about the things I shouldn't be doing that I was doing or about the things I wasn't doing that I needed to do. Does that sound like you in your life many times? And he said, as a result, I tried constantly to please God by doing all the right things and not doing the wrong things. That's a total wrong motivation. Please understand there's nothing wrong with wanting to please God and to obey God. But there is nothing we can do in ourselves that is good enough to be the perfect person that He wants us to be. You see, my perfection is not in me. My perfection is in Him. That's how I'm made perfect in Him. Religion says, do this, do that, and you're saved. Where relationship says, surrender everything you have to me. Because I became that sacrifice. I became that perfect sacrifice so that you can go free. Look at this scripture from Mark 7, 21 through 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? That's, that's, that's a good things right there. That, that, that's things that I look at and say, wow, I would like all those things in my life. Wow, that's powerful manifestations. That's great things. But what does it say? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. But hold on a second, Pastor. What does that mean? I went to church. I paid my tithes. I served. did all the right things. So what's the deal? 
The deal is that's religion. That's religion. You see, God is not keeping a checklist marking down everything that I'm not doing and everything that I am doing. All God is interested in is this. Are you ready? Do you know me? Come on. He says all those things is well and good. If that's, but the key is this. Do you know me? That's what God's concerned about. Are you in relationship with you? The people who have done all the right things. God says, I don't know who you are. But relationship is being known by God. Listen to this story. I thought, wow, I need to read this out today because I think it's a lot like where we find ourselves. Chris Hodges in a book, Fresh Air, says this. However, in my relationship with God, as it began to grow, I I was serving in ministry. I discovered that I had the spiritual tendency to fall back into the old comfortable way of living. When my wife and I were fairly new parents, I was serving as a youth pastor in Colorado Springs. And every morning, I would spend time in my little office in our basement, reading my Bible and praying. One morning after about a half an hour down there, I heard Michael and Sarah's footsteps as they ran squealing across the kitchen just above me. Their laughter and their voices made me want to run upstairs and join in on the fun. Right then I got honest with my heavenly father and I said, God, I don't want to be down here right now. This is work. I'd rather be upstairs playing with my kids. Why is that? I sensed God's voice gently telling me, because your relationship with them is different to the one that you have with me. Lord, what do you mean? I asked. God said to me, you treat me so formal. Everything is time. Everything is out of obligation. You don't even talk to me the same way that you talk to your children. What would your relationship look like if you talked to me in the way that you talked to them? What would it be like if you were just as in love with me? Anyone relate to that? Trying to find God the wrong way through that religious obligation instead of that life-giving relationship. You see, the difference between religion and relationship means this. I can either get to God, move closer to God by doing all the right things and hoping that that will be enough that it takes on the inside of me. Or I can fall in love with God on the inside knowing then that everything would then happen naturally. On the outside. You see, true Christianity, are you ready? True Christianity isn't about what to do and not to do. That's what we've made it. That's what we've labored it. Come on, let's be honest right now. You know why many people aren't in church? Because all church is about what you cannot do. It's about you can't do this and you can't go there and you can't be around these people. That's the gospel message that we've preached to people. Church today is not known for what we stand for. It's what we stand against. 
It's what we are not for and what we're against. And we're this, this, this. We're never giving the world the reasons why. We're never showing them the light of the gospel. It's no wonder people don't want. Why? Because we're presenting this religious way. You've got to do this. You've got to be this. And if you're not, then God won't accept you. It's no wonder people don't come. But Christianity is not about that. It's not about what I do and what I don't do. Christianity is about what's available through Him. When we follow that true love, not out of obligation, fear or guilt, but following God out of love. It's no wonder people don't want a salvation like that, because I wouldn't either. Why? Because it ruins all the peace and the joy and the fun that I can have in God. Come on, say with me these words, inside out. Inside out. That's the relationship God wants. In 1 Samuel, we read the story of God's prophet. A prophet literally is a mouthpiece. He's the mouthpiece of God. And he has been sent by God to anoint God's king. He's already anointed man's king, Saul. And that didn't work out too good. It worked out for a season. You see, that's how sin is. It will work for a season. Your own ways work for a season. Why? Because it baits you in enough to think that everything's okay, but it's not okay. Hebrews 11.25 tells us this, that choosing rather to suffer the afflictions with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. What is it talking about? Moses there. It's talking about Moses chose rather to live for God. Then to what? Accept the passing pleasures. Sin has its moments of fun. I said sin has its moments of fun. If sin wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it. It has its moments of fun, but those moments sure come to a screeching halt. Very quick. So here it is. Man's choice was Saul. God says, now I want to anoint my king. So he said to Samuel, anoint or fill your oil and go because I am sending you to now the house of Jesse. You, can you imagine what's going through Samuel's life? He's like, man, God, I'm so sorry. I, I don't want to blow this again. Could you imagine how nervous he must have been? Come on, God, what, what do you want to do? So God says, call Jesse and get all his sons together. He gets all his sons together. His sons were lined up, oldest to the youngest. That's what they would do. And Samuel looks at the oldest, Eliab. Wow, what a man he was. The Bible says he was big, bad. And he wasn't ugly, he was good looking. He was big, bad, and handsome. Huh. He was the all-rounder. You know those kind of people, remember those people at school? That, that all-rounder, the one that had all the looks and the talents and the brains and everything. I mean, God, you couldn't have given me some of that? The one that had it all, that was pretty much Eliab. And Samuel's looking, saying, good choice, God. And Samuel says, this must be the one. And he held the oil over the head of Eliab, but the oil didn't flow. I said the oil didn't flow because that was symbolic of who God's choice would be, that the oil would flow. He probably shook it a little bit and said, hold on a second, I know there's something in there. But Samuel learned a very important lesson that day that I believe you and I must learn today. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not judge by his appearance or by his height, for I have rejected him, for the Lord does not see the way that you see them. God says people judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
In other words, God looks from the inside out. Man looks from the outside in. God says, no, I look from the inside out. A picture again of relationship versus religion. Religion says, do the out thing, do the actions, and then something will happen. Relationship says, you've got to surrender your heart to God, and then God can begin to produce things in your life. Because when we try to do everything right on the outside, how many times do we still remain so empty on the inside? Caught in the doldrums that we talked about last week. Doing everything right, but not enjoying it. Or even finding ourselves envying other people who are doing the same things as us, but yet they seem to be enjoying the benefits. Have you ever been there looking and saying, why not me, God? They're doing the same things, but they're different. You're touching them. You're blessing them. You're changing them. Listen to me today, don't get me wrong. It's good to do good things. But we cannot rely on our feelings as the engine to fuel our actions. Because our feelings are going to lie to us. It's got to be an internal motivation. It's got to be a relationship. It's got to be the passion that fuels our desire. So how can we tap into that? How can we have that spiritual passion? How can we move from religion to relationship? How can we see that cultivated in our life to break free from the performance that the world has told us? We've got to do this and this and this. Here's how we break free. Are you ready? Say with me, the choice. The choice. That's how simple it is. The choice is yours. It's a choice for you to make from the beginning of mankind. Man was given a choice. What was the choice that man was given? To serve God or not? People today look and say, if God's such a God of love, then why does he allow all of these awful, terrible things to happen? Hold on a second. Let's go back. It's because he is a God of love that all of those things are happening. What do you mean by that? Because I believe this. Outside of God giving his son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth, That was the greatest act of love this world has ever known. But I'm telling you, the second greatest act of love that this world has ever known is this, that God gave you and I a free choice. A choice to choose whether we would serve Him or not. And you have that choice to make today. So what do we see in the beginning? The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they had a choice. Would they eat of the tree the one thing that God told them not to partake of the knowledge of good and evil, or would they choose a relationship with God? The Bible says that God every day would come and walk with them. Man, that must have been so cool. Just to hang out in that way with God. I know we can hang out with God every day and we should. But man, it would have been cool to have him walking with you, wouldn't it? Just through the trees and just hanging out and sitting there and just having that kind of relationship. But even in that relationship, what did they choose? We know their choice. And we now know the chain reaction, not only for them, but for the whole of mankind too. But why do we still make that choice? Why do we still make that choice? Instead of choosing relationship, we choose everything else. I think one of the reasons we make that choice, the wrong choice, many times is it's easy to measure 
our lives. It's easy to qualify. It's easy to control our behavior when we have like an external set of rules to follow. It's like, okay, I can do that, do that. It's like a safety blanket for many people. Because we have that checklist to work from that we can track our progress and, and just kind of see where we stand. <laughs> but yet, no matter how much we do, no matter how much we don't do, there's still something inside of us we crave. And you know what we crave? Relationship. Relationship. Because relationship is what we were made for. There's a God-shaped void in every man. That means God's the only one that can fill that void. And we search and we seek through everything else instead of the one true peace, Jesus, that can fill that void. Genesis 2.18, God created everything. He put man in the middle of it. And God observed as man named all the animals as God was in this perfected place. But yet God said these words. He said, it's not good that man shall be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. God says man was created for relationship. You're created to be loved. You're created to love. You are created for relationship. Say with me, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You see, when Jesus came, the people of that day were waiting for him, not for a relationship. They were waiting for Jesus to bring religious order. From the beginning, they had it all wrong about Jesus. It was going to be another religion to them. He's going to come. He's going to solve our problem. We're under oppression of the Romans. He's going to come up, raise an army. We're going to be free to worship what we want. He's going to set everything. He's going to do everything. He's going to be the religious order that we need. One day some of the Pharisees come to Jesus. Look what it says in their conversation, Matthew 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old traditions? For they ignore the traditions of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. These people had come a long way and here's what they had come to dispute. How come your disciples don't wash their hands? I mean, come on. I mean, that's it. Why? Because they are seeing Jesus as religious order. Remember that. So therefore, they want him to be perfect in that religious order. And Jesus replied to them, and why do you, by your traditions, Violate the direct command of God. And he goes on to talk about the violations that they have committed in their life. But look what it says in verse 7 and 8. He said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied. For he wrote, verse 8, these people honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. They're about the religion about the doing, about the being. But yet their heart has never been surrendered and given to God. You see, the problem wasn't washing hands. Jesus said, the problem is, how do you approach me? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, how did they approach God? By abiding abiding by the law, obeying the law rather. 
by following the law, put themselves in such turmoil and, and such obligation. What a miserable life they had. Had to check every box every day to go through living. Where Jesus, he came to fulfill the law. But greater than fulfilling the law, he came to establish relationship. We don't have to try and earn it anymore. Jesus paid the price so we can live in freedom and in relationship with him. I want to show you this further from the story of what's been called the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew chapter 25, beginning verse 1, it says this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. They had oil in their lamp, but they didn't have reserve. Verse 5, or verse 4, but the wise took in their vessels with their lamps. They had oil in their lamps, they had extra just in case. Verse 5, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered and said, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him into the wedding. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I do not know you. Let me just break this down for you. The virgins symbolized those who were religiously pure. There was a purity in their hearts. They were trying to live that religiously pure life. Also note, the foolish ones thought that the condition for their eternal life was making sure that they had done enough, that they had saved enough oil to light their path to go and meet the bridegroom. That was a common tradition of that day, that they would have a ceremony and then there would be a period of time before they would have the feast at the end. They didn't know how long that would take. But when it was happening, they had to have oil in their lamp so they could see to go where the wedding was and where the feast was going to be. But listen, those who were foolish, when they relied on the issue of how much oil they had in their lamps, they missed the party. They didn't have enough. So what did they have to do? They had to go and find more, buy more, because we've got to have that if we're going to make it into the party. There is nowhere in that story that Jesus, who's the bridegroom, says the reason you cannot come in is because you don't have enough oil. There's nowhere. Show me. That wasn't the contingent for them arriving. That wasn't what needed. That wasn't the golden ticket to get into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Love that movie, by the way. My wife hates it. I like it. The only reason 
the Bible says that they did not make it in. Well, because God says, I do not know you. Do not know you. It's purely a matter of intimacy. An internal matter of what's going on on the inside of you. What's going on in your heart today? I love this statement. All of heaven will be about relationship with God and not religion. Let that sink in. And it's not one day when heaven starts. Heaven starts right now. We've got to be in relationship with him now. Come on, say with me, be honest. Be honest. honest. This time I believe for you to be honest with yourself. Maybe today you know the Lord. It's a religious obligation. You come to church, you do this, you do this, you do this. You know God. But the way you know Him isn't working for Him, for you. You're not enjoying your relationship with Him. Can I give you the secret? Here's the secret. You ready? It's on the screen so you can pay attention today. You can fulfill the commands of the Bible better by falling in love with God than just trying to obey them. I want to say that again. Are you ready? You can live a Christian life. You can be what God has called you to be a whole lot better when you just fall in love with God. Instead of doing everything you can, can't do that, got to do that, must stay away from that, must go to that. When we try to live by obedience in our lives, we're always going to find ourselves coming up short because that's religion Versus relationship. Not because obedience is not important. I said obedience is vitally important for our lives. But when we try to do it our own way, obedience is not the center of the will. It's what I can do. (laughs) It's what I can produce in my life. You see, I brought a will with me today. I hope my kids don't want to ride their bike today. If they do, they're going to be in trouble. What I want to show you today is this. Every spoke on this wheel represents our behavior and obedience. But notice where the obedience and behavior come from. They don't come from the side. They come from the center. Why? Because if it was off-center, have you ever tried to ride a bike? You wouldn't be able to. You, you, you would just be going down the, the road like this. It would be struggling because it, it's not going to go good. But look at this. When it's in the center, it's going to move smoothly. What are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say is this. If we're trying to do things by religious efforts and our feelings, we're never going to find them pure at the center every time. Because our feelings lie and our feelings change. But there's only one thing that remains the same. And that's God. So in your life, in my life, if I want to move on. If I want to see my life progress and move properly forward. Guess how that happens? Forward motion can only be fueled by true love. It can only happen by true love. It can only happen with Christ being the center of my life. I want to liberate some of you today. I really do. I want to liberate some of you today. 
Stop trying to be good and just do good things. It gets exhausting. It gets exhausting. Come on, let's be honest. Some of you don't come to church because you feel you haven't been good this week. Stop trying to do good things and being good. Because Christianity isn't a business transaction. It's not an arranged marriage. That's religion. Christianity only works when you are in love. It only works when you're in love. All relationships are enjoyable when you're in love. Wow, I love this statement. Look at this. Temptation is a test of your relationship, not your self-control. Well, if only I had more willpower, then I wouldn't have had to do that. If only I had more stamina. If only I could have just said no one more time. I would, no, no, no. Temptation is not about your self-control. Temptation is about your relationship. It's a test of your relationship. Trust me, I'm all about living a disciplined life. And here's how. It's not fighting the temptation. Because <laughs> that's what we try to do. I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do that again. Come on, close your eyes right now and think of a red hammer. Come on, think of a red hammer. Can you picture a red hammer in your mind? Can you picture it? Now stop trying to see a red hammer. Don't see it. Don't see it. Don't see it. What do you see? A red stinking hammer. And that's how we try to fight temptation. I'm not going to do drugs again. I'm not going to sleep with that person again. I'm not going to watch that stuff again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. Listen, it doesn't matter how much you want to do those things. You don't have the power inside of you to overcome those temptations. You know how you overcome temptation? You've got to fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. You've got to fall in love. Stop fighting the temptation. That's religion. Because if I can just do it, then I'm acceptable. So what happens if I don't do it? That's what religion says. You're either in or you're out. God says, by grace, are you saved? What does that mean? I'm not perfect every day, but God still loves me. Because my focus isn't on what I do. My focus is on whose I am. Whether you pray, whether you read your word, whether you go to church, whether you tithe, that doesn't depend on your self-control. It reveals the relationship that you have with God. Because when you have a relationship with Him, you'll want to pray because you'll want to talk to Him. You'll want to read his word. Why? Because you'll want to know more about him. And you want just to read it. And you just won't want to just pray. You'll want to sit back and listen. Why? Because you know that he'll begin to speak to you. And hear what he wants to say. Look at this. It's time to stop trying to please God. And simply just love him. Love him. What's my message for 2018 for you? Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. It's funny the things we do for love. I said it's funny the things we do for love. You know what you've done for love. You've done things that you never thought you would do. Sung karaoke that you never thought you would do. But because your spouse or those, they love it, so you do it. Five love languages. Kelly's love language is acts of service. That's her number one. 
love language. What that basically means is this, the quickest way to Kelly's heart is by doing things for her. Washing the dishes, helping around the house, helping with the kids. That means she feels loved when I do those things with her and for her. (laughs) Even though I don't enjoy cleaning the garage. She loves it. So what do I do? I do it. Why do I do it? Because it makes her feel loved. I do it because it brings her joy. I don't do it out of obligation because I have to. I do it because I now love to, because I love her. Do you see the difference with relation and religion? It's not obligation. John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep your, my commandments. Can I, can I read that from religion? Are you ready? Look at that. Look at that right now. Here's what religion says. Are you ready? If you love me, you will obey me and prove how much you love me. That's what religion says. But you know what relationship says? When you love me, obedience will flow out from that relationship. That's a big difference right there. That's a big difference there. Why? Because we put ourselves under a pressure. Oh, if you love me, then you'll do. How many have ever been told that? If you really love me, then you'll do. That's not true love. Relationship says, when you love me. Say with me, do you love me? It's no wonder so many people don't enjoy their Christian faith when all they know is obligation obligation, and a duty-motivated obedience. Do you love me? Do you want a fresh encounter with God? Do you want to catch that fresh breeze that will move you from the doldrums? If you weren't here last week, you missed what that means and you need to play catch up. We've got it on podcast and I'm telling you right now, you need to be here as much as you can. Why? Not because that's what saves me, but because I love God, I'm going to be where he loves and he loves his church. This is what God loves, his bride the church. And there's no excuse for you to ever miss. You can watch on Facebook Live, but I'm telling you, that's a good way, but it's not the best way. The best way is still to be here in the house around other people. But you and I are responsible to keep that love alive. It's your responsibility. I can want it for you, and I do want it for you, but I can't be it for you. I want it for my kids more than ever, but I can't be their relationship with God. I want it for you in a church, but I cannot be your relationship with God. I can model a relationship with God, but I can't be. It's your choice. It's your responsibility. And what we've got to do this year is this. And every day that we live, we've got to be constantly falling in love with God. Constantly, constantly. That's why I believe this fast is so important because it's our time where we can strip back and say, God, I just want to focus in on you. You can say, oh, that's a religious obligation. No, it's not. That's the motivation that perhaps I used to have in my life. But now, God, I'm just doing it because I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, the theme of the Bible is love. The theme of the Bible is love. But not as a noun. The theme of the Bible is love as a verb. Because love is in action. Love is in doing. Love is in pursuing. Remember where we began? Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll what? 
follow me. You'll follow me. You'll live for me. Peter, do you love me? Then follow me. Follow me. One last scripture. The band can come up right now. Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the proper or the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Wow, that's incredible. The love of God that wants to come and rest in your heart, wants to root you, wants you to be so grounded that you would be strong and that you would be changed. That you can't even comprehend how wide, how high, how deep, how immeasurable His love is, but yet it's available for every one of us. That you will be made complete with all the power and the fullness that comes from God. And one more verse, you know I couldn't leave it out. Ephesians 3.20 Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work in us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's my favorite verse in the Bible, but you've got to read what's before it too. Because until we can experience the power of God, come on, we've got to first know the love of God. We've got to first be in the love of God. We've got to first be in relationship with Him. Do you love God? Is your love for God in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to be? Because that's religion. And you won't find God there. But where you'll find God at is where you surrender your life and say, God, I can't do and can't be good enough. But God, I pray that you would take my life and everything that I am, that you would forgive me, that you would come into my heart, that you would change me. That's relationship. Bow your heads all over this place.